turn notifications off. So we should uh, should be live any minute now. Uh, yeah, it just came. This just code posted in, in Facebook. So uh, so yes, I'm super excited to uh, have again uh, uh, in a serious interview Thomas. Um, and um, I, I'm pretty sure that the people who watched the last interview uh, were uh, also, uh, uh, you know, uh, very uh, looking forward to without them knowing that there was going to be a second one and maybe like a series of like talks because um, both of us felt that it was just like so good to chat uh, that we said, well, let's do it again. So I want to basically start off by the first part of the title. Uh, but before doing so, maybe... Uh, I can ask you, like, you know, how you're feeling uh, and, you know, how you're doing. And uh, maybe let you kind of, like, see how you want to enter, like, the two topics that we have. We totally. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. And, I, you know, I just want to say to you, thanks so much to you. And, uh, you know, if, if there's other people that are part of, you know, making uh, Cineas happen, you know, I just want to thank, be thankful for, like, the whole team and, yourself for like bringing me on again. I really appreciate it. I really uh, did uh, and do love our interaction and, and how everything came through. So I'm super grateful for that. And um, to get into, you know, how I'm feeling and stuff like that, you have just been really present with the energy all weekend. You know, we have a lot going on astrologically, kind of cosmically or whatever. We're uh, in the middle of quite a few retrogrades, we have a uh, solstice that's been going on this weekend, a big eclipse that was early uh, in the morning or, or late in the night last night. And, uh, you know, some other things too, like, so uh, yesterday, what, what I was doing actually is there was this interesting event that, that's, that's actually still going on that has to do with a synchronization of the Schumann resonance of the earth. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know the exact science behind all of the details to really like explain that in depth. Um, the reason that I'm mentioning it is because, you know, over the past couple months, especially, I've been called into doing a lot of, of ley lining and grid work, you know? Uh, would, would, would it be okay by the way to like I know what the Schumann resonance is and the frequency but maybe like uh, can you give like a, a short like description of what it is so that people listening will actually be able to you know tap in yeah definitely it's it's essentially like in a certain manner of speaking it's kind of like the resonant frequency uh, of the earth's heartbeat so to speak that's that's the best way you can look at it it's like uh, the overall resonant frequency of the whole earth uh, just like every everything uh, in existence really ha has a kind mm -hmm. of certain uh, general resonant tone or frequency that, that kind of fluctuates, you know, it's the same way in our brain waves and our heart. We have uh, certain states that we regularly go into, whether that's alpha, theta, beta, gamma, right? And uh, essentially the Earth's frequency is called the Schumann resonance and it's right around 7.8 three hertz or so um, but of course especially in the past few years this has uh the amplitude of this has been fluctuating a lot like going up ex to extremely high states and uh back down and all of this kind of 
uh, seems to cross over and through different experiences that people are having in like awakening or ascension or kind of lower points and shadow work and all these different states because of course you know whether or not we are conscious of it uh these types of things uh, affect people you know whether it's you know solar flares or the moon moving around or the most notable strong effects that we have uh kind of regularly going through our system and so essentially there there was a certain uh, resonant frequency that was that was kind of hit and uh, that connected to what's known as the emperor dragon ley lines. Okay, and these are two ley lines that run from roughly around where you're at in California, and they run directly down the center of the United States, kind of almost like a like a belt or a bra uh, of sorts, like right down the center, and they end uh, right around. Um, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, or uh, pretty much right in the band that you know that I'm in the center of as well, is a little bit, little bit north for me. Um, yeah, just you know, synchronistically, consequentially, whatever you want to call it, randomly. Um, and so I've been doing all this grid work anyway, and a friend of mine, uh, great brother, his name's Endon, uh, made a post about how this was going on and came into my field and i was like wow this is uh this is crazy and perfect at the same time because there's a very very large vortex slash convergence of many ley lines that are near me right in the center of these two bands um and i had already before i knew about this sort of event going on felt the call to go out there and do some different work and things like that and uh so the timing was uncanny and so yesterday, me and a brother of mine, uh, another good soul brother, his name is Kyle, uh, went out there and, and did a lot of ceremonial work and really moved through a lot of interesting stuff going on on that site in the collective. And then went into kind of like a, a prayer at night. A good friend of mine was having a birthday party and it was a lot of great connection and ceremonial action. So today I'm really just kind of riding over the, uh, I would say the, you know, anytime I do a lot of this work, there's always like a post process where I'm just like uh, collecting insights and allowing my field to integrate. Uh, for 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 some of the people who uh, may not have heard of ley lines, uh, what's really interesting is that many of the ancient like traditional temples uh, we now know were built where they intersect, uh, and um, I've been actually doing uh, some research to find out whether uh, you know, there's like a random event generator, like machines. Uh, yeah. So uh, I read in, um, in Freddie Silva's book, basically, the, the Lost Art of Resurrection. I don't know if, if uh, I think like I may have shared that with you, uh, that when he took some of those machines and like had them over, like, um, for example, at the Great uh, Pyramids uh, in Egypt, they were like six deviations away from like random like chance uh, using these machines. Uh, I was actually like looking for them. I, I found this website, um, which uh, I don't know if you've actually found them. It's uh, it's called Sileron, and uh, they they actually create those um, uh, random uh, event generator like you know devices uh, made or kind of like taken over by the Princeton Engineering Anomalous Research uh, Laboratory. Pair, you may have known known it. They also are the creators of the mine lamps, um, but I haven't been able to get my hands into any of them yet. Uh, I remember there was. 
a project which actually re reached out recently um, because it seems like it would have been the perfect sort of uh, like you know project for us to all of us have this ability. So um, the project basically is called uh, Entangled, um, and yeah. it, it was uh, in, in collaboration with uh, you know the the Noet the Institute of Noetic Sciences. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so essentially, like you know, they they were <clears throat> they were building this app uh, called the Consciousness App, uh, and which would have had like a random event uh, like generator sort of like capability in it. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna mm -hmm. post it basically in our chat here. Uh, but for some reason, like you know, I, I checked their app and it didn't basically uh, it hasn't come out or you know you can leave your email to be invited to the private beta, but like, it's not out there. So I'm just wondering, like I send them a message like what that is that they're doing. But all I'm saying is that for people who cannot intuitively kind of like uh, feel those fields, um, there are technologies that are being developed so they can use them to actually like find them, right? Or go to temples and actually see like the, the difference from chance, which I think is fascinating, right? Because I always try to mention that, uh, yeah, like, you know, some of us may be feeling those things but for the people who uh, either don't believe us or like you know have trouble like even like conceiving how the world could be so different slowly like you know te transformative technologies are coming to you know, like to fill the gap and then give them enough like you know evidence for them to say okay maybe i should start meditating today <laughs> you know maybe i should start some sort of modality right so uh, this other lamp that i told you about uh, was one that in the beginning of the evolving caravan have an interesting story uh, I would, it, the Volvo Caravan was this like, a, uh, I think I've told you about it, where we basically went around the world, uh, especially in Europe, with a group of seekers and speakers on the on consciousness, and would visit different cities and visit researchers on consciousness, and also do events where we do lectures and like, experiential workshops on consciousness. And in, in, when we went to London, we went to visit like Peter Fenwick, uh, the famous uh, Cambridge researcher on near-death experiences. And he had in his house, I think one of those lamps. I was I was one day late, so I wasn't able to go to this house. But like everybody else was there, and uh, these lamps are connected to a random number generator. And if with your intention you're able to change, uh, like you know, the randomness of that generator uh, enough deviations away from chance, the lamp changes color, right? Um, so of course everybody gave it a shot, right? I think everybody failed except like one guy, uh, Adrian Taffender, who was able to like change it like multiple times. Uh, so that was pretty cool. But yeah, uh, these are the kind of devices. And if you go to uh, TransTech, the conference of transformative technologists that um, uh, Ms. Bradford and um, Jeffrey Martin basically uh, like you know, put together in Palo Alto, I think every year, you'll be able to see more of them. So it, it's kind of like happening. So uh, you know, if you didn't get the memo, <laughs> You can basically go to these conferences, uh, or if you've had the experiences or meditations, uh, or can feel those things like Thomas, then you know this conversation is kind of like uh, more familiar to you. But sorry for the big tangent. I just want to mention these things. Uh, and uh, it's great. I, I, I love, <laughs> I love, uh, I love hearing about these supportive uh, technologies that um, that um, that are really you know, kind of allowing people who don't normally have, a, you know, sensitivity to these things to, to really tap in because that's the other thing too, is like a lot of these types of technologies uh, can be bridges or stepping stones to people starting to feel these things. You know, it's, it's like a little, little window 
it, it's kind of like almost like a permission slip in a way that lets our consciousness mm -hmm. uh, in our nervous system, you know, perfect example. Uh, I've seen Lumi uh, commenting in the, the, the video a few times, great example of technology that can be used in certain ways to kind of like op open people's like uh, organic systems to, to be more sensitive to things. Cause sometimes it just takes something or a person being like, Hey, this is possible in a little like nudge. And then we're like, Oh wait, I, you know, actually I can do that or I can feel that or something like that, you know? And this is how we met, actually, right? Remember, like uh, we were at Avo Asia, and uh, you had you had a setup uh, that I can combine like human design with some other like technologies. And yeah. I, I waited in line, and you know, we started talking. I went through the sort of process, and that's how we met. So that's you were actually demonstrating uh, a technology like that. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's really interesting to see what people will come up with. And super excited, like you know, there's all sorts of stuff happening. And I like like to throw this like bit bit of news every now and then in the, in the interviews so that people know that like there's a lot of things that happen right now. But yeah. I, I want to uh, head back to our title and, and talk a bit about like you know uh, the cosmic room star seeds uh, with respect to the cosmology around it, and then maybe we can connect it with the other part of the title uh, about the new Aquarian cosmology. So. Uh, Tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and I, it's like a lot of ways that I may talk about some of these subjects or the things I might get into today, uh, you know, maybe new or maybe uh, uh, something that's evolving, right? Because obviously, uh, especially with, uh, you know, in a, a cosmology or a gestalt or um, a theory like this, uh, it wouldn't be able to even be really kind of likely if there was an evolution going on with it, right? We're talking about being inside of a womb and there's growing and there's change. Obviously, the understanding and the processing and conception of that would have to uh, evolve uh, for that really to make sense. And so the reason I preface this is because um, you know, the idea that we are in a womb is actually very old. Um, if you look into the different cosmologies, let's say in the Vedas, right? The, the, the Vedas uh, by the people um, of Eastern India in that area of the world, uh, there is this idea that there's actually multiple wombs that we're, that we're moving through. And I'm gonna pull that back for a second and explain a little bit of how I personally got tapped into this process, right? So, so it just kind of gives a little bit more context because for me, uh, I'm not the type that usually reads about something in a book or whatever, and then I'm like, oh, this is, this is true, or uh, you know, this is the way it is. For me, it's more so been a process of experiencing something and then finding things that, that support that, right? And we talked about that a little bit last show. And last show, we, you know, I gave a little bit of my kind of like awakening story or whatever. And I spoke about the point when I started to receive these communications uh, interstellarly from, from, from stars and things like that. And one of the things uh, that I remembered in that communication process was basically what I was told was, to follow the Sriantra, right? And at that time, I didn't really know 
even really what that was per se. I think I'd maybe heard the word, but like really wasn't that familiar with the concept. So I, I started to research what this was. And the Sriantra is, is many things, but typically what people know of it as is a, a yantra, which is basically a mandala that's used in, uh, in different uh, Indian slash Buddhist kind of uh, Eastern types of practices is used as a meditation tool, right? And so basically you stare at this, the, the point of this thing in the center and allow uh, visions and different things to come in your consciousness while you just let them kind of flow through and you stay, uh, stay concentrative on the point so you can learn how to have more like one-pointed consciousness, right? Well, if you actually get into uh, more of a deeper level of what this pattern is, there's essentially nine uh, interlaced triangles that are all layered over top of one another. And these nine triangles correspond to what are known as the nine wombs of creation, right? And these nine wombs of creation are essentially this process of where a, a, an individual being or perhaps uh, an entire race, right? If we look at all of humanity or all the beings on this planet, potentially even as uh, more of an entire whole body, right? And we're all like little cells that that this whole thing is going through a certain sort of evolutionary process, uh, growing into a larger, more expanded, evolved, intelligent being, right? But of course, that process starts with us as individuals. And so I researched this, right? And I, I got into, I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is really interesting. But I only researched this because as soon as I said yes, to following the Sriantra and took off on this journey in my life, I actually started noticing it randomly places I would show up, like the, the art actually on the wall or even, um, and this is, for some people, this may be a little bit of a, of a stretch, but I, I'm, I'm gonna explain this. So this is actually a bag uh, from a teacher of mine in, uh, in, in, in the Cusco area in, in the Andes, okay? And this pattern, if it wasn't so kind of like old and kind of like rubbed over or whatever, um, is also actually a very similar base concentric diamond uh, triangle pattern, right? And so things like this, uh, as my awakening was going on, I was just starting to, to follow these things. And uh, the more I got into it, you know, I was allowing these, the, the kind of intelligence of this pattern to evolve my field, my energy field, right? Because I would follow it. And then the more I would follow it, more synchronicity would start to happen and more, uh, more connection to the divine and my higher self, my more authentic self, whatever, you know, terms that you want to use. And in this process, uh, I was actually guided into uh, a couple different systems, which are known as human design uh, the, and the gene keys, right? Most respectively, 
And these systems are inherently also combinations of other systems, right? There's astrology in there, there's the I Ching. Um, and the reason that the I Ching is utilized in these systems is because there's 64 hexagrams in the I Ching. And uh, they've found in these systems or channeled through these systems that these 64 uh, hexagrams correspond to our 64 codons in our DNA structure, okay? And so I started to, you know, this was brought to me on my path, these systems. I didn't, you know, I didn't seek them out. Literally, they just stumbled in front of me. If and I then may, I found out things like, if I, if I ask you something, because I know that yeah. you're also in cymatics, uh, uh, I've noticed that certain frequencies sometimes create like these shapes. Uh, and mm -hmm. I, I'm wondering basically like whether your like uh, experience in cymatics also uh, had played some sort of role in understanding how these shapes are actually, you know, encoded in frequencies and whether that has some, something to to like, you know, add to your journey. But if not, you can just like bypass it and continue the story. Yeah, no, totally. Um, it definitely played a part in uh, essentially, see the best way I can explain this. Um, there was, the, at the time that I found out about the, the Sri Antra, there was, there was also an in tandem uh, or simultaneous process that I was going through of tapping into these different frequencies, right? And noticing how different resonations or different tones in these frequencies were affecting uh, states in my consciousness or uh, information that was coming to me or most notably, uh, and I, I talked about this a little bit last show, that when I, as soon as I started to be able to notice these electromagnetic frequencies, I also noticed that as I closed my eyes, I would see this kind of uh, beautiful flowering circular pattern, okay? And in the center of this flowering circular pattern was essentially a, uh, you know, a, a, in a sense, like a black hole or a, uh, an empty void space that would sort of move in and out and grow and kind of flex like, almost like a mouth in a way, I guess you would say, but really what I understood this to be or understand this to be. Is it like is, the Bindu that you have in the Sri Yantra like literature? Uh, they, they, they call like the, the center of the sort of like symbol, the, the Bindu and there's like different kinds of it, but uh, I was wondering whether that's related. Yeah, totally. Um, so what, what I found in my experimentation with this is the Sri Yantra is essentially a kind of like a hand-drawn version of a geometry that is in a lot of ways very similar to this pattern that I was seeing internally. Now, this pattern that I was seeing internally was much more like circular and moving and organic, right? But in the way that the triangles sort of stem out from this central point in the Sri Antra, uh, there was similar kind of uh, more, I would say, rounded kind of flowing triangles coming out of this pattern in my consciousness field, but very, very connected uh, and very similar, like almost like, uh, you know, with the Sri Antra, it's just a way of 
you know, it could, in certain senses, it could be perhaps like an ancient interpretation uh, or drawing of, of, you know, these fields, or also a way to give more kind of geometrical boundaries to help focus consciousness into this singular point. So uh, I want to uh, pay more attention to this uh, uh, thing you mentioned where you said you felt there was a sort of like a correspondence between those shapes that you were seeing and certain internal things uh, uh, that you were feeling, right? Um, yeah. And the reason why I said that is because in my own mystical experiences, like, you know, I've, I've gone to like dimensions where I just see like these geometric shapes and by changing those geometric shapes, I, I feel a difference within my own sort of like, you know, like body, uh, literally, like, you know, you actually feel it uh, uh, like, you know, it could be like uh, rushes of energy going through me or like it felt like, a, a, like, like an electric, electric, like pins and needles. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, whether you were getting some sort of like visual representation of a certain code that by manipulating it, you were able to change yourself. Uh, I don't know whether that's a tangent worth like following, but I only mentioned it because that's what happened to me. So I was wondering whether that's something that you know happened to you or you played with it. Yeah, I've had I've had many many uh, similar types of experiences to that, and the way that I would the way that I would sort of explain uh, what's going on in, in in that process, right, is that we can look at in a way, these patterns, I actually, I think to explain this, I kind of want to go back to rewind a little bit and go back to um, a, a more foundational piece that I understand with how existence happens and, and how this womb process happens. And okay. I, I believe sure. that it will fit in. It's totally fine. But, yeah. but um, essentially the way that it's, you know, been shown to me or that I've remembered is that we are essentially inside of like a giant fluid of sorts, right? Like almost like a, like a pharaoh fluid, right? Or uh, it, an embryonic fluid in a way, but like as a more like simple example of the way this works, in cymatics, uh, there is a technique of taking what's known as pharaoh fluid, which is this special kind of like viscous liquid. And then a frequency is put into the liquid and then these patterns emerge, okay? So uh, what I've kind of been shown is that uh, really, what it, really what that is, is there's like an electric point, like a spark, right? Like the spark of our like light or, or life, um, which essentially is also connected to our nervous system in, in our body. And then there is a fluid, right? which is more akin to like the magnetic aspect of, of this polarity. And depending on the energy or frequency of the spark, and really the spark, the light is more kind of created by the combination of the frequency hitting the fluid and it kind of creating the spark of desire, I guess you would say, right? Or when these two things together, this is like Eros, right? Like Eros flame sparking against the magnetic womb or the feminine. Mm. This is the masculine hitting that in like that spark kind of shooting out and creating uh, our experience or what we know is life, right? And so as those two things come together, 
they've essentially hit this certain sort of pattern which manifests as as our body right it's kind of like rippled out into this kind of tree mycelial kind of system and you can look at all the little nerve endings as these little points that are reverberating uh sound right and then sparking in this fluid and creating creating life you know that this basically is a is a famous like physical event called sonoluminescence right uh i'm gonna basically uh post it here in uh, uh in our like chat so that people can go and check it out there's, there's a number of experiments where they take like a bubble uh and they put it in a certain like container and then they blast a little sound and then it starts creating light uh so this is not just something that Thomas is saying, you can just check your Wikipedia. <laughs> you know? There's also like Piezo electricity, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, right, where they find, they take the crystals, like, you know, our bones are crystalline material, right? So if you can look at, there's like this intense kind of pressure of, of a fluid, right? You know, a lot of people don't realize, but like, this is fluid, right? Like, it seems like, oh, there's nothing here. Like if you were to just look, it's like, there's nothing. It's just clear, right? There's, it's air. Well, what is air? Air is fluid, you know, like it's uh, whatever high percentage of liquid just floating around, uh, not to mention the amount of liquid, uh, 80, 70 to 80, 90% or whatever it is that's in our, within our body, right? So, and then the bones being these kind of piezoelectric type of crystals so there's all this pressure and then there's this energy spark that's generated in our body so you know uh this is essentially this reverberating crystal that's kind of like rip rippling out these different things to kind of synthesize with what you were saying and so now that I kind of like explained that in these these different frequencies and there's also this kind of uh you know the way that you can kind of play around the, with this, you can do things like mantras, toning, uh, you know, you can do that with your vocal cords, and then you can also experiment with uh, doing that internally as well, right? Like just like kind of hitting different notes and frequencies inside of your head, or also experimenting with it in different areas of the body, because really the entire body is kind of like a musical device uh, in a way once you learn how to uh, kind of work with the different muscles and, and things that are going on there. And so this is kind of what I started to experiment with a little bit to watch these kind of changes. But now what I wanna state that's really important uh, for anybody that's experimenting with this is that in order to really notice this, uh, there's gotta be a certain amount generally speaking of kind of like calmness going on, right? Like for me to notice uh, this pattern in my consciousness, a lot of times uh, what I have to get is to a certain amount of like settledness within my system. You know, you're not really gonna notice it as much uh, if you're in like flight or, fight or flight state or like in a very high emotional state. I'm not saying that you can't, but like the first times, especially you're trying to like notice these types of things, it's going to be more, a lot more difficult to, to notice these things. But then what you kind of notice is that when these th different things do come up, 
you know, emotions or jolts or music or things. It's kind of like you were talking about where it's almost like these geometries that we're interacting with are kind of almost spinning through our nervous system and kind of like playing it like an instrument or the other way around. Like if we're kind of like, uh, you know, kind of playing our nervous system in like watching and witnessing what kind of happens uh, in our consciousness or around us or something like that, right? I mean, in some sense, like, you know, what I like about like somatics is that they make those geometries like visible, right? So when you're saying that when we're playing with sounds, like it's almost as if we're playing with geometries. Well, you know, when you like look at the shapes that are created, like in somatics, like this becomes like painfully like obvious. So it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting sort of like uh, idea to kind of like start to entertain, especially like for some of us who have had like, you know, DMT trips, uh, you can actually see those geometries and that's the kind of like the only world that uh, is there if you like, you know, go there. So it, it, it becomes less of an academic like issue and more of like an experiential issue, right? Uh, yeah. You, you talked about these nine rooms, right? From the Sri Yantra. Um, yeah. Can you talk about like what their significance is and like, you know, what does that mean in a way? Uh, well, I mean... There's a, there's a couple different ways that, that, that we could talk about this, but like in the traditional more Vedic cosmology, um, it's, it's, it's looked at in terms of these series of like initiatory, almost like lifetimes or experiences where there's these certain uh, sorts of, almost in a way like tests that are needed to be passed or uh, points that needed to be hit uh, in, in development in order to kind of like be born and kind of like push through to the next, uh, to the next state, right? Or the next, uh, next womb. Now, the thing that's really interesting about this is that in, uh, you know, kind of swinging around again to talking about, uh, human design, gene keys and things like that. Um, when I discovered uh, human design cosmology and system, I found it very, very interesting that in that system, there are nine energy centers in the vehicle, okay? Um, and, you know, it's easy. You go to Jovian Archive or there's 64 keys. There's, there's many different sites you can kind of like get your human design chart or whatever, and then you could actually see the uh, different uh, energy centers that I'm talking about, okay? And in these, uh, within these centers are different placements of these 64 hexagrams of the I Ching or these uh, corresponding to the codons of our DNA. And if you actually take this pattern and you turn it into a geometry, you get what's known as the 64, 64 star tetrahedron, okay? This is the name of a geometry pattern uh, that actually is pretty much synonymous with the same pattern that you see if you turn the Sri Yantra into 3D, okay? And so this I all found very interesting as I'm having these, these different experiences. And then, uh, and this is all leading very seamlessly into overall this kind of like Aquarian uh, cosmology pieces that, that we're talking about. Because, oh, that's great. Yeah, because 
So the way that the human design system came about was that uh, in the 80s, there was this event known as harmonic convergence, okay? And in harmonic convergence, uh, there was essentially in our history that we, you know, have written down or whatever, at least, the closest supernova to our planet happened. And uh, so obviously if there's a supernova, there's these types of waves that even though we may not be able to quote unquote feel it, we're like, you know, all of a sudden the whole earth rumbles or something like that because it's not that close to us. These waves of energy obviously are going to ripple out into the cosmos if there's a supernova that happens, you know, at least uh, according to mainstream science, a supernova is the most powerful, uh, you know, display of energy that we can really know about or fathom, right? And so when this energy hit the earth, there were a lot of different people on this planet that had very interesting uh, downloads of consciousness or of, of evolutionary experiences or uh, out-of-body experiences or just different things that were experienced. And there's this individual known as Ra Uruhu is the name that was given to him in this awakening process. And he essentially downloaded this whole cosmology and this whole system known as human design. And what he was told was that um, when the planet Uranus was discovered, around the time of, uh, it's about 1776 or so, about the same time as, uh, you know, the Declaration of Independence and things like that was, uh, was signed in the United States. So there's, of course, very synchronistic things to these events going on right now in astrology as well, which is interesting. But what this uh, consciousness that he interfaced with told him is that when this planet Uranus was discovered, that we as a species moved from a being with seven chakras or seven energy centers, main ones present in our vehicle. So lots of information about there being many, many chakras, okay? What I'm talking about are the main ones that are housed within our physical body. And we went from seven to nine, okay? And, uh, Part of what was shared in this is that uh, the vehicles that we have now were sort of transitionary vehicles, okay? In this process of switching over fully from seven to nine. So humanity, as we know it, this species, is actually much different than, you know, the species uh, that are also humans like the Egyptians and, uh, you know, different ancient, uh, different ancient peoples that we actually get a lot of our spiritual systems and ph philosophies and things like that. We have a, a different makeup, so to speak, right? At least according to this system. And so what he was shared with is that from 1776 until 2027, we would be going through this massive planetary transition where uh, these mutations would happen within, uh, within our bodies to allow a new uh, sort of completely new experience on planet Earth, a completely new sort of consciousness to develop and flower within, within, within this planet, 
okay? So now we're getting into some of the pieces of this sort of new Aquarian cosmology. Of course, because Aquarius, the ruler of, of Aquarius is Uranus, okay? And so of course this connects to the process of going from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius, which is happening as we speak. We're in the middle of this process. The exact demarcation of where that happens is very much so disagreed about in, in, uh, in the astrology communities and things like that. But from my personal uh, kind of channels and information and understanding of astrology is that the main market shift is actually happening this year, okay? Uh, most particularly, the culmination of like the, the shift and transition will be in December 21st, when Jupiter and uh, Saturn both conjunct on zero degrees of Aquarius. So there's a lot of different things that we could get into and unpack there, but essentially the, the gist of it without getting too long-winded about all this is that Saturn is the ruler of time in astrology, right? So cycles of time, time cycles, anything related to that. And Jupiter is kind of the quote-unquote king or the ruler of the gods, right? And zero, of course, is the beginning, okay? And interestingly enough, the eclipse that we have, uh, you know, going on last night into today is on zero degrees cancer. So there is actually a uh, connection between uh, certain things that are going on in our personal lives and in the world very much so connected to what is uh, going to transpire uh, on December 21st of this year. Because in astrology, anytime there's things that are happening on the same degrees, they're connected. It's all uh, a science of numerology and synchronicity and things like that. And so we have these two planets that hardly ever um, come together, right? And they're just so happen to be coming together on the zero degree Aquarius, which they haven't came together in a air sign in a long, long, long time. And so all these kind of things have, have led me and experience of direct shifts and just all the cycles that are coming to a head this year, that this is the main market point of shifting from Pisces into Aquarius. And I've talked about different things of why I feel that this is what's going on in my, uh, in different Facebook posts and things like that. So um, um, what you're saying is that like, you no, know, the first is the true transition to the age of Aquarius. Like uh, if, if I understood you correct, right? Yes. And what not, and I'm, what I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that uh, there isn't still going to be a process around this. Um, I do feel like, that you know anything of these magnitudes right and we're talking about large galactic cycles and things like that um, yeah you're saying that that's, that's the peak kind of thing and then it can in some sense yeah I, I understand that but uh i want to go back to something you said earlier which is you know once that supernova happened and suddenly all these people started to have these experiences uh, and it seems what you're saying is that we started actually changing uh, ourselves as a sort of like you no know, uh, species uh, could you, does it make sense to uh, like 
speculate that maybe that's the reason why a number of people who have been like incarnating in this planet um, were able to do so because of those changes. In other words, did our vehicles become more receptive to the incarnation of higher consciences? Because I've been seeing a lot of people who have been remembering, I mean, this, you're one of them, uh, that, you know, they have spent a lot of lifetimes in, in different like star systems. And I'm just wondering whether like that event was what changed our vehicles to such a degree so that we have become, we've become better hosts as bodies of like more advanced consciousness, consciousnesses. A hundred, a hundred percent in, 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 in my experience in to get into some of the details of how and why, uh, why that would work like that is because essentially the, the theory is that the seven chakra being was mostly a being that was processing uh, or most notably using to understand and experience existence, the Ajna center. Okay, the Ajna center is essentially uh, synonymous with like the, the third eye, pineal gland region, um, you know, different things that are involved in that, but like essentially more this kind of like uh, being that was witnessing and interacting with the world, cognitively processing through, uh, through this area of the body, okay? And essentially, in this, now we're kind of getting back into the nine wounds, okay? Right? So if we can look at the Ajna center, in a way, as an entire plane of existence, right? A womb, so to speak right? Where on this plane of existence that has to do with getting into biology, if we're mostly using this area of the nervous system to interact with reality, this is going to create certain experiences that have to do with the chemistry in our body, certain neurotransmitters, certain hormones, in uh, different things on these levels, right? Like more so centered around, uh, you know, reverberating, again, getting back into the sounds. So these areas are reverberating, and then this is causing different physiologic, physiological changes in our body, and thus, uh, you know, the experience that we have around us. And if you really get into this, I mean, the reality that we experience, right? Like I'm holding a crystal in my hand. My experience of this crystal has a lot to do with things like neurotransmitters, right? And this isn't, this part to me is not theory, right? Because if you take something like a, like a psychedelic or an entheogen or a psychoactive and you ingest it, your experience of reality will be different. I pretty much guarantee that. You know what I'm saying? Like what's actually happening there? Of course, that's theory. But the fact that your experience of reality is different is more or less undebatable with certain psychedelics, unless you were, you know, of some sort of cause, you know, kind of makeup that I have never met before, but at really high doses of things like LSD or mushrooms or things like that, you're having some sort of different experience, right? And the reason I'm talking about this is to say that, now imagine if, you know, depending on where 
this kind of processing is happening and thus reverberation and thus kind of energy is focused centrally on a certain area of our body. It's flooding our system with chemicals that are causing us to interpret reality in a very kind of specific sort of way, right? And depending on how we interpret the reality, depending on these chemicals, uh, we do different things, right? Like uh, if I, you know, if I believe this to be uh, or experience this as a rock, right? Then I'm going to connect with it in a certain sort of way. Now, if my experiences are more like, hey, this is food, then I'm gonna interact with it differently, okay? And so now imagine for a certain period of time, there is essentially a bunch of different interaction and processing within our vehicle that has to do with this area. So everything that we do in this reality kind of follows certain patterns, right? And this is like, uh, the th let's just boil this down to the things that are important to us, right? Or kind of have certain, uh, certain sort of flavor to them right? Like we're eating certain types of foods to supply these neurochemicals and neurotransmitters and hormones. We are like building certain things. We're living in a certain sort of house, uh, all these different things because we're catering to this chemistry within our body. Okay. So now let's say that what we've learned and what we've experienced becomes very, very vast, right? Like imagine a kid who is playing in a certain territory or a, a area of the house and really, really just goes through everything in the house, like plays with every toy, reads every book, has every sort of thing, like for days and days and days and days, right? And it just learns a lot and more and more. And then it kind of suddenly gets full, okay, right? It's like hit as far as it can go in this, in this room that it's interacting with. Now imagine this room is a womb, right? Okay, so these experiences are going on. We're interacting with a certain sort of plane of existence. Now, the information and intelligence becomes so great that we gotta move to a new room, okay? But what do we have? We have a body that we're, we're kind of talking about where the body is these kind of rooms, right? Or these energy centers or wombs. So in this cosmology, the next room or womb is the solar plexus, okay? So it's more kind of like down, it's, it's not so localized in, you know, up in this area. It's where we are, will be cognitively processing and interacting with our environment, almost thinking in a certain manner with our solar plexus, okay? So this is more like, almost in a way, like a more full body cognitive cognition or processing right? And this actually, if you just think about it logically, makes sense, right? Like if we need to gather more information from our environment and have new experiences, have different experiences, we're going to use more of the nervous system, right? Because in modern science, there's the brain and then there's the nervous system. But in reality, it's just the nervous system. You know what I'm saying? Like in a way, the nervous system goes to the whole body. And I know the brain's like an organ, but like to separate the nervous system and the brain very distinctly from the nervous system and the rest of the body 
is more of just like a Western way of kind of cutting things up and separating them. But really the nervous system is just moving throughout the body and it's always sending signals and communicating all the way around. So what if all of a sudden we're using more of the system to take in information and interact with the environment? Wouldn't this also kind of explain why people are having more and more uh, experiences like ascension symptoms, right? They're like weird pains and feelings in their body or, uh, you know, people start to have more psychic experiences or maybe people just feel things different or they're, 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 you know, so many people on this planet are going through very intense emotional things and they're going through very intense psychological things. And, uh, you know, people are wanting to connect differently. It's almost like, you know, you can even now we can look at and we're sort of weave around and bridge a little bit too, right? We're talking about esoteric world events. That was a, that was a topic in our conversation. Yeah, that's part of it. I also want to like mention that there's a lot of like work uh, uh, around somatic awareness the past years, right? Uh, and I think that maybe this is related to that uh, sort of like, like switch from like, you no, know, this part more to like the solar plexus. People are, are trying to, like feel more of their body. And I mean, if you walk around in LA or like look at what's up in the spiritual sort of like catalog of, of experiences, there's a lot around that. Uh, so I, I think that it might be related uh, with that shift you're talking about. Completely. It, I mean, so if you, once again, in this is, this is from my own direct experience that's especially happened within the past few months interestingly enough right around the beginning of this whole uh you know pandemic epidemic or whatever you want to call it right so it's like when i went through this kind of uh near death and rebirth experience where uh this energy worker and medicine woman her name is sarah eagle woman she went into my nervous system via way of energy work and sort of cleared out certain things that were kind of stuck and stagnant, right? Different programs and trauma and things like that. And she, she helped me by clearing it out because, you know, energy workers, to be honest, need energy workers just more so sometimes than, uh, than even normal people in certain ways, right? Because, because we're so sensitive, we amass and build and collect so much in our systems Right. And so she kind of like wiped things for me. And what my what my process was with so much cleared from certain areas of my system is now it was extra sensitive. Right. So this, of course, makes sense. Right. Because look at like the movie, The Matrix. Right. You know, in the movie, in The Matrix, when Neo is in the the, the tube or the, the pod, and then all of a sudden all the plugs come out and he's, his body is like white and like he had the lights hit him and he's just like, what is going on, right? And the guy's like, oh, you've never used your eyes before. And he's like, oh, whoa, okay, that makes sense, right? Because, you know, what happens if you're in the dark for a long time and then you flip on the light, it's like, oh, whoa, give me a second to readjust here, this is intense, okay? Now imagine the same process 
in the rest of our nervous system. So imagine if all of a sudden you're feeling and perceiving and experiencing and interacting with way more energy and information, okay? It's going to be uncomfortable to say the least, right? And it may even be painful. You know, it could be, for some people, it could be extremely painful. You know, if there's like a lot of very intense trauma, a lot of very intense conditioning, depending on what the person went through in their life, depending on what's been handed down, it could be almost in a way, it could be, it might kill somebody, you know, like, and I know we're going very far potentially here for some people to, to kind of wrap around, but isn't it interesting that the uh, symptoms of, you know, the whatever epidemic is going on right now had to do, and you remember the initial reports, right, where basically what they're saying is there was this, like, these experiences with the lungs, and then there's, like, a seizing up almost or something. People were, like, kind of, like, collapsing and stuff, right? So it's, like, what actually I was shown around this time is that these different sorts of things going on are all connected whether or not, and I'm not, we're not going to get into whether or not the, uh, you know, the virus is engineered and different things like that. Regardless of whether or not it was engineered or whether it came from a bat or whatever, everything, if this is a wound, everything that's happening here is part of the wound, right? It's put like, and I'm not saying that I condone or discondone anything in this situation but what i'm saying is everything that's here uh is here for someone or something or some purpose or it wouldn't be here in this uh in this theory in this cosmology right and the reason i'm bringing this up is because you know we there we're having this transition into cognitively processing from these new places within our system right? And in the human design cosmology, and I keep referencing this because I want to state when I'm referencing this, that I feel that just like any other system or cosmology, that even though raw downloaded human design cosmology as like, this is the system, this is the way it is, and this is how it goes, we're in a womb. And he himself even admitted that there were certain things going on with the great mutation that he called it, that the voice that downloaded him in this system could not tell him about, did not fully understand, and could with, would be completely unexpected because it's mutation. And that's the nature of mutation is that it's basically quote unquote, like random in like a certain sense. It's always kind of intermingling and mixing as like a giant, you know, chemist kind of like putting different things together, right? I want to also say something else uh, uh, because uh, I heard of, of, of this from a number of people, right? That these extra sensitivity, like many, many friends basically like, like point this out, that you're definitely not the only one. And, and I want to say to like, you know, the people listening that if you do have a friend who may be going through something like this, um, it's already hard on them to actually have the sensitivity 
it becomes even harder when you start gaslighting them saying, no, you're not feeling those things, right? Uh, so yeah. so you know, maybe if your friend uh, or your friends basically are starting to tell you, hey, like I'm feeling all these things, you should just listen rather than try to discount their experiences uh, because this is a phenomenon that I myself like I've observed with a number of, of our friends. And if it's already hard, then adding that layer of no, actually what you're feeling, you're not really feeling it, isn't making any easier on your friends. So I just wanted to like point that out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I'll also just say, you know, uh, on, on a different kind of angle of things, this is why that I've gotten into a lot of the work that I'm doing now too, you know, because I had those types of experiences where, you know, besides other people not understanding what was going on, I didn't really understand what was going on. I've definitely been in those positions before. And like, you know, when I was growing up, a lot of my, you know, kind of gifts and abilities that I have, although they were different and maybe not quite as evolved in certain senses, uh, because of those types of interactions that I had with other people, I kind of shut them off, right? That's what happened to me because I didn't have a frame of reference. I didn't have an understanding. And so essentially what I was doing when I was, when I was little was psychically, tele-empathically interacting with people in my environment. Although I didn't really know that that was happening cognitively, I was just doing it. And that can be very traumatic, right? Because I'll tell you the types of situations that happen to a child that has these types of experience, because I feel like this, this is actually really important, uh, especially for parents that are out there during these times, uh, or, you know, adults that were once kids or parents, future parents, whatever. Okay. Uh, it's important that as parents, sometimes we talk to our kids about these possibilities. You know, even even if we do not know what's going on with our kid or think that these things bringing up the potential of telepathy or empathy or these types of things can be really key. Right. Because what happened with somebody like myself is I remember having interactions with kids at school, like in the playground and school and things like that. And because I was so sensitive energetically right? What I would actually do is when somebody would get angry or, you know, let's say uh, angry or upset or perhaps even excited with somebody like myself, I would actually be psychically experiencing their thoughts, their feelings and emotions, okay? And I would see those and witness those things in my consciousness and believe them to be mine, okay? And when you, when somebody else has very like intense, negative, darker, uh, traumatic thoughts or something like that, and you experience those as your own, right? You can start to think in very interesting ways about yourself, right? Like, why am I having this thought, right? Like, you know, about hurting someone, let's say, or like, and I don't necessarily mean like, hurting someone badly, it could even just be like uh, verbally hurting somebody or something, right? You start to get into these weird sort of psychic kind of weird states and information going on, right? And 
then when it really gets bad, sometimes you might even get into a state where you kind of use this information as a way to harm somebody else, right? Because you're just, you're a little kid and all you know is somebody's attacking you. So maybe you're gonna attack them, right? And so this trauma builds, right? And so what happened to me personally is after a certain point, I became so full of all this different stuff that I just kind of shut it off in a way, you know, it was, it was still there and it was still happening, but like, it was, it's very kind of like dampened. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's one of the surprise that, uh, I don't know if you saw the interview with Kelly Keith. I'm going to actually tag her here, uh, just so that she knows, uh, so, uh, uh, Kelly Keith, uh, we were talking about. Uh, she's she's working on, on a school uh, for children uh, that, uh, especially uh, like you no, know, some like being able to teach them some of the basics when it comes to like energy work. Uh, she's a Reiki yeah. healer herself, and, and the main reason, like I think, that one of the main things that she wanted to teach was like you know being able to clear stuff. Right, so that it doesn't actually accumulate, as you said, like in the body. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, so, definitely, some other people have been starting to realize just how important this is, uh, especially like you know, as more and more children becoming more and more like uh, sensitive uh, as they're born in, in this density. And uh, I know that this is not; she's not the only one. I know, so like Nancy Trivellato uh, has been doing some research with respect to kids that experience. Uh, uh, out-of-body experiences and uh, from like a young age and uh, you know mm. when when you experience stuff like that uh, as you can understand like you know when you talk to your parents um, they think that you're crazy right uh, so uh, if your parents start you don't thinking, even talk to your parents about it which is kind <laughs> of more, that was more like my thing I didn't even really talk to my parents about it yeah, uh, well, you know, some some kids that, that do in a way, right, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, they will try to tell you that you're dreaming or that you're not really feeling this. Essentially, like, you know, if, if they are not aware of what it is that's happening to you, they will try to shut you down in some way or another or try to make you reinterpret what it is that you're experiencing, which, um, uh, you know, in, in the worst case scenarios, they may even like try to take you to some sort of psychiatrist or like, you know, have you like administered like, you no know, psychiatric drugs. Uh, and um, I know that like Nancy Trivellato from the International Academy of Consciousness has been working on a book for the parents so that if their, if their kids start to exhibit some of those like, you know, um, experiences, uh, the parents know when to distinguish between like childhood fantasies and like, you know, true like out experiences that, and like how you can, with some questions, separate and see which one is which and how to address your kid uh, if they start talking about these things, right? So I think that we're slowly getting there. And um, thank you for like sharing your own personal experience. Yeah. Because the more and more people like become aware that maybe their children actually have like uh, extra sensitivities, um, the more sensitive the parents themselves will be in becoming more open into not shutting down their children for having these extra sort of like abilities in a way, right? So uh, I think that uh, uh, ideally our schools will, will, will start to kind of like uh, adapt to this new understanding that we have of what kind of beings we are 
And if our public schools basically don't do that, then you know, we'll have to start our own schools just like Kelly suggested and is trying to do. Uh, and you know, Lumi is saying basically, not only for kids, we need this for everyone. That's true. Um, and uh, in some way, like uh, I think a lot of people are offering classes for people to understand this. So, so thank you like, for bringing it up. Uh, it, must, it, it must have been quite a, a, an experience when you were able to recover what you had shut down, right, for you. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, I also I also want to state that I'm actually like, I'm so grateful for the way that it did unfold. You know what I'm saying? I have no sort of like looking back, like oh, I wish it had been this way or that way or any of that stuff. Because I'm actually in. While I'm not saying that I want, you know, it still should be, you know, kind of transformed for other people. And, you know, it's great to make it easier for kids and things like that. My own personal experience, I'm like crazy grateful for the way that it unfolded. And yes, especially like the, the things that I've experienced over the past few months, especially as more, you know, because there's still like over the years, it's, it's kind of like been trickling in or like kind of bursting in in certain like uh, amounts, you know? And in the past few months, it was more like a big burst all at once, at least in terms of regaining things and sensitivity and things like that. And yeah, it's been an incredible experience in really, and this is why I'm so grateful for it happening the way that has, because I feel it offers me a very unique framework in a way of sharing with others about what is going on right? Like just talking about what we're talking about today, because it's like by having these kind of jumps up or leaps forward, it's like in a way, uh, you know, I feel like in a certain respect, the earth womb consciousness's way of kind of putting these certain cells out there, the way that evolution does kind of happen, especially if we look at the term emergent evolution, right, where certain cells in the body kind of like receive larger portions of mutations ahead, and then it kind of ripples out in a certain respect, right, and what it's got me to understand is that by starting to process things more so cognitively through the solar plexus is what we know as spirit, right, or actually very synonymous in a lot of ways, and I can get into this in a bit if we want, with the quantum, okay? Quantum and spirit are very, very similar in a lot of ways, if not synonymous, okay? And what all of a sudden opening up these realms of my nervous system has done is open up experiencing you can look at it as other realities, or you can look at it as this reality. It just has more in different layers mixed in that were not able to be as easily experienced previously, right? But it's also coming in in a way where it's more or less manageable, you know what I'm saying, in terms of like starting to process and cognitively tune into this plane, right? And there's also things in these cosmologies that 
that kind of back what I'm saying too, interestingly enough. And what I mean by that is in human design, I have a very unique system. I have a completely open or undefined emotional center, which is the solar plexus, which does correspond to spirit in the system. And I'm what's known as a quad right, okay? And that means that uh, essentially the way that Ra described it in human design is that the beings that will start to be born after 2027 will be all right, okay? And what right is, is we have left, which is straight line, sequential, logical, uh, you know, more masculine in certain respects. It's very like step-by-step, step, left foot, right foot, uh, moving in a logical progression, A leads to B, okay? It's that type of thing. And then we have the right, which is like spiraling, fractaling, networking, mycelial, okay? So that's the two ways you can look at those things. You could also look at it like if you see a fractal, right? If you've ever seen a picture of what a fractal looked like, looks like there's the line which guides the pattern of the fractal and then there's the colors and the things swirling in the center so the left would be kind of like the line right that's guiding it that's giving it structure the right would be the colors just sort of spraying out right like continuing to like morph and shape the entire time okay when you say that like this uh um kind of like uh, emergence of like uh, the divine feminine that we're seeing is kind of like correlated to, to this sort of like movement. Certainly. Um, and, you know, and also, you know, and I know everybody kind of gets into this nowadays, but want to make sure we differentiate, uh, you know, feminine and masculine and male and female in the sense that like, you know, my system in my cognitive way of processing in that respect is very feminine, okay? But actually, uh, in a lot of ways, I'm an extremely masculine being. You know, besides just being a male, I'm saying I still have a lot of extremely masculine traits about myself. And so I want to preface this because, you know, I don't want like, you know, men out there watching or women out there watching or whatever, you know, to feel a certain sort of way about anything I'm talking about because you know we can we're talking more about like the nervous system in the brain in the way that it processes information and things like that okay not so much like uh well, i understand like it's not we're not talking really about gender here we're talking about like the different sort of polarities uh and, and how they express themselves into the human psyche uh but definitely the rise in this divine feminine that you're talking about is in this system the right is receptive, right? And it's more passive and relaxed in that uh, information, okay? So look at this in two ways. And this is also obviously related to this going from the Ajna to going to the solar plexus, okay? So in the Ajna, things are much more logical, right? They're much more uh, patterned, straight line, progressive, like, hey, We've got to, you know, we've got to go out there and we've got to expand civilization and we got to make it happen and we got to build, you know, we got to build technology and we got to, you know, expand cities and 
uh, understand math and science and all these things, right? It's very like logically progressive and expansive in the, in the sense, systems oriented, where the right gathers information by being receptive to the peripheral, right? So with me, rather than like, when I wanna learn something, I don't necessarily go out and get a book and like, okay, I'm gonna learn this and I'm gonna step by step, okay? The way that my system works best is to allow information to come to me through interesting sort of peripheral cognition. Like it could be through, uh, you know, when I walk in a room and there's a conversation going on next to me and somebody says something and it actually has a huge piece of information in the key to the, the, the next thing I'm doing two hours later. Okay. Um, and it could be also, it could be something like now what it's evolved into is literally interacting with quote unquote spirit. Okay. And this is also the quantum. Okay. And this is another reason why I wanted to get into this is because, um, there, there is, there is a lot kind of like going around in uh, certain parts, parts of the collective consciousness around, uh, you know, this idea of Q. Okay. So I don't know if you know anything about Q, but the QAnon movement and things like that. Right. And so my experience actually has been that Q actually represents quantum okay and of course this is just a theory but what i've noticed for me is that different interactions that i've been having with spirit and the environment in this uh work with the grid work with my emotional system work with other people's emotional system is i actually notice shifts in the timeline sometimes through things going on through Q. And this is really interesting to me. And I am not necessarily saying, uh, oh, go be a QAnon supporter or don't be a QAnon supporter or any of that. I'm talking about this right now from a completely neutral standpoint of things that I've observed in my consciousness field. I just wanna preference that too, okay? And so this is really interesting to me because what I've started to notice is that really the whole field in a way of the womb is quantum, okay? And there's a lot about quantum theory, quantum reality and things of this level, right? But- Would you, would you rephrase that uh, as basically saying that whatever happens to any, every, anyone who wants has some relation to aspects that we need to become aware of or learn. Uh, in other words, every single moment we go out, uh, everything that comes to our field, whether through a text message or a random conversation or something that may happen to us on the street, uh, is correlated to the sort of lessons uh, we need to learn personally uh, for the very next step of our evolution. And that this is customized for all of us even though there are patterns uh, you know, among souls who are on similar paths. Is, would that be an accurate assessment? And therefore, even like you no know, message from Q uh, could actually be part of that process for every, every single person 
Um, totally. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's like you know, getting back to the the wound cosmology, right? If so, if let's say for a second that humanity is the current kind of collective body of a lot, like let's say instead of looking at humanity as a bunch of different people, let's look at it as a species as kind of like a child, okay? Right, like each human is a cell within the body of the baby in the womb, right? You're gonna have heart cells, you're gonna have lung cells, you're gonna have, uh, you know, bone cells, whatever it is, you're gonna have all these different cells. And so each cell, is gonna have different experiences that it's gonna need to be fed. You know, bone bone cells require different uh, nutrition than, uh, than heart cells or lung cells, something, right? So you can look at the reality surrounding you as nutrition in a way, right? Like not only just from the things that we're eating, but also, uh, you know, the, the experiences of light and sound and connection, you know, you and I are having this interaction right now. Um, and there's things that are allowing each of us to sort of uh, resonantly grow, grow and evolve, right? Um, in, in a lot of different ways. I, I really like this uh, like idea. And it's something that I, I've been playing in my head uh, a lot with respect to current events, because whenever there is a certain event, like everybody feels the need to tell everybody else what they're supposed to be doing, right? And it's almost like, you know, the bone cells are, are telling the heart cells that, no, 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 you should really be doing this. You should be eating this like food. Uh, and in some way, like what I'm feeling is that if this is true uh, in that each of us are very unique individuals with very unique destinies, maybe like the first step of respect whenever we come across anyone, is trying to understand that, you know, trying to understand like their very uniqueness and, and see how we can facilitate their own particular trajectory as defined by primarily them. But if we see them sometimes betraying their own voice, try to suggest things without imposing them, because sometimes like, you know, I, I'm reminded of this uh, amazing idea that or like story that uh, uh, Dave Zabowski told me, uh, he used to be a senior animator at Disney. And he told me about this concept that they had of plussing. I don't know if you've heard about it. Where whenever like any animator uh, came up with an idea, right? Instead of like, you know, the other animators trying to kind of like tear it down and <laughs> say, no, this is wrong, this is right and change it. They would try to pay attention to what he called uh, the breath of the idea. Breath, you know, in ancient Greek basically means, uh, uh, you know, the word, the ancient Greek word for spirit is, is pneuma, right? Which means breath, right? Uh, yeah. So uh, in some way, like in Disney, like their creative process was that if somebody gets, gives birth to this new thing, this unique thing, everybody else was supposed to do their best to figure out what is its breath and then plus to that, like add to that, Right. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, whenever we interact with anyone from anywhere, wouldn't that be a better sort of like way of being respectful to their own particular trajectory of truly asking, not like, you know, which country you're from, what's your job, like what's the color of your skin, but 
what is your like individual sort of trajectory and what kind of conversations, interactions do we need to have for me to truly respect and add to that and plaster that rather than feeling that I can just scan like, you know, how you look like or some of the things you said and immediately telling you what is, what is that you're supposed to do, uh, you know? So that, that's what uh, came to me as you were saying this. And if you do try to put this in practice, then it, it creates a lot of like interesting consequences because what that means is that you can't just label people as uh, like, you know, being part of a group and that necessarily meaning that everybody has to have a certain recipe with respect to what it is that they're supposed to be doing in their lives, you know? Uh, in fact, like I would even say that just saying that somebody is human, uh, even that is a label because, you know, some of us have had like, you know, lives in other planets. So are we, how human are we really? So uh, just trying to figure out what is it as a conscience, as a consciousness uh, that you really need right now? And how can I assist you? Whatever that is, however antithetical it might be to current events, you know, Maybe somebody like, you know, during those times just really needs to focus on becoming a better mathematician and not necessarily like be out on the streets protesting uh, because maybe their particular vision will lead to a cure for something or will lead to like some great discovery that even helps the people who are protesting in some way. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, you have very uh, strange trajectories, like uh, somebody starts off with a certain thing that seems completely esoteric and then it ends up having very practical consequences. So I was just thinking as a sort of rule, maybe that might be uh, a rule of thumb rather than some you know, uh, bureaucratic uh, rule you know, imposed, but as a sort yeah. of like rule of thumb uh, or heuristic like code. Yeah? Like code or like a- you yeah, know, like you a kind of like have this in, in your mind when you're approaching somebody, you don't know who that person is. You, know? you don't know what their karmic, like, I mean, sometimes you may see that, but just as a sort of like ultimate homage and, homage and respect, try to find out who that person really is and what they truly need in their core rather than just like boxing him in as to what you're supposed to be, what they're supposed to be doing according to what you think, right? So yeah, that's mm -hmm. sort of throwing that out there, especially given that during times like these, everybody feels it's okay to just tell what other people should be doing, right? Uh, and, and I'm not saying that like, you know, you shouldn't be sensitive to you know uh, the things that are happening around you you know of course you should be and you should find your own way of contributing to what you think is justice uh, but at the same time have some level of like respect for each person's individual journey because we're not all here to do one thing so uh, that's what came up when you were talking beautiful yeah i i completely agree i really love that um i feel like that's a great way to you know approach any situation not just people it's like, uh, you know, the, the reality as a whole, right? And this is kind of this deep, deeper type of work, you know, that I get into and things like that um, is like listening to, uh, you know, listening to our room, listening to plants, listening to the earth. All of these things speak to us all the time you know, if we listen, right? It's like kind of when we connect with another person, right? Like, are we doing what we think that we're supposed to be doing in the world or with a piece of property, with the land, with the earth, all these different things? Or are we listening 
and like in this sort of flow and conversation and like really like getting all of the pieces and uh and things of that nature so it's, uh, yeah that, that really like a life philosophy in a way well i mean that reminds me of like this great uh i think this great idea that was uh like suggested to a friend of mine who had this piece of land in like montecito who uh like you know had that piece of land bought that piece of land and like she said that uh, maybe what we really need to do is we need to hold a ceremony where we ask that piece of land what it is that it wants to become, right? Uh, which is exactly what you're saying. Like, you know, instead of having a preconceived idea uh, and just imposing it on that piece of land, uh, which that piece of land is not, of course, empty, right? There's trees, there's living beings, there's a lot of things there, right? There's a history to it, you know, uh, maybe there's some entities there that live there. <laughs> I mean, like, there's a lot of things to it and being respectful of, like, asking like that land or what it may be open to becoming, uh, which is that almost like the opposite uh, approach than that of a colonizer where they just feel like, well, you know, I'm just gonna go there and like do this, right? Without caring about like, you know, the place that they're, they're going to. So uh, I, I do think that that is related to this uh, notion in, in uh, in scholastic philosophy, uh, there's this great book called the, On the Basis of Leisure by this uh, German philosopher called Piper, where he basically said that in, at some point in philosophy, after Kant, the, the activity of cognition was taken to be work. Because what Kant basically said is that we apply these categories to the world, like causality, and then we filter everything through these categories. So cognition is a kind of work that our mind does with the sort of like formless void. Right, and we always do that. And and after Kant, like we kind of like lost touch with the idea of this uh, concept that's called intellectual vision, where instead of actually us being this machine that constantly applies things to reality and carves it up and like works in order to know, this other like idea of intellectual vision is all about receptivity, which is a theme that came up in our talk before, right? Uh, and this receptivity, like he, he had this example, like in the book where he said, you can look at a rose and say, oh, a rose, oh, it has all these petals and oh, you know, this, this structure. And like, you can start like breaking it down, like, you know, observing it and like cutting it into pieces as to what it is composed of. That's one way of looking at it. And that's one way of, of knowing it, right? Or you cannot do that <laughs> and just look at it and receive what comes from this like phenomenon, right? And this is the concept of intellectual vision. And this is something that I feel we have lost over time and we're starting to get it back. And in some way, like what you're saying, like fits very closely to this idea. And what's interesting with this book is that they say that the basis of culture presupposes both of those like ways of looking at the world. And if you don't do any of the receiving, you know, you won't be able to uh, have the proper and adequate basis for for culture. So, you know, yeah. if if what you're saying is uh, is is you know, uh, because you, you talked about how with that shift we're going to more receptive sort of mode, uh, <clears throat> maybe we'll see also a, a resurgence or a new culture that is being sort of like you know birthed through that new mode through that mode that we're recovering at a higher level. So. I'm really looking forward to, to 
maybe age of acquirers being that, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, that brings up some interesting points, you know, to kind of flow back into is like <clears throat> Aquarius, right? The, the sign of Aquarius is, you know, there, there's, there's, let's say there's two kind of main uh, themes when it comes to the way that, that energy flows in, in Aquarius. Okay. That, you know, there are many, but like the positive side of Aquarius is a sort of collective co-creation through bliss. Okay. And when I say bliss, I don't just mean pleasure, by the way, just kind of prefacing that it's, it's more of a bliss, like in, uh, you know, as, um, the uh, what's the the gentleman that that coined that phrase uh, the uh, I don't know I'm I'm blanking on his name right now Mercury retrograde but um are you talking about like ignorance is bliss or something like that man or... of a thousand faces hero of a thousand faces he wrote oh, yeah, that book Joseph Campbell Joseph Campbell yeah Joseph Campbell he said follow your bliss right and I mean more in that respect okay so co-creation through bliss is more kind of like co-creation through, you know, each individual's unique flavor, their passion, their purpose, their, their mission here, that's their bliss. Okay. And we can see this present in nature. Okay. That's how nature works. Nature works through diversity and like each individual thing does its part and it thrives with one another doing that. Right. It's like, you know, the hummingbird specializes in the hummingbird, what the hummingbird does, and it loves to do that, right? That's why it does it. It's, you know, what fuels its kind of motion, so to speak, right? And then there's the other side of Aquarius, which is uh, more of kind of like begrudging service, okay? Right? Where what somebody is doing, when, when something comes from the mind, right? Like a program of what we're told to do or what we read, what we think we should do, what the news tells us to do, what our parents tell us to do. When we get into these things that are just mental programs. So now again, we're getting into this mental kind of Ajna versus solar plexus, these same types of themes, right? But when we're, go when we're operating strictly on a mental program of this is how what I should do, this is how I should show up, this is what I'm supposed, these types of shoulds supposed to, you know, this type of framework, okay? Then, you know, we end up being in service in a way that we almost maybe hate, right? Like we're just, we're just like, oh, I'm gonna be in service but I'm gonna do it because I think I'm, that's the way that I'm supposed to do it, right? Even though there's no like-, it's like, a, it's, it's like a servant being in service rather than a free being out of love. Right? Yep, it's just happening because it, you know, it doesn't know any better and it has this program that says, oh, well, the way that I'm supposed to serve is I'm supposed to, you know, be in a cubicle in an office and uh, be like a, you know, somebody who's a secretary. And somebody, that's their bliss, right? They actually love that job. But then somebody else, their parents were like, 
no, go to school, get a, you know, do this and do that. And they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm, this is what I'm supposed to do to serve society and create this thing or whatever. So that's, that's the difference, right? And so now we're getting into where it's less important to think about how you can serve, right? And more important to get into what your passion and your purpose and your drive and things like that, right? And then the reality, as we start to get into this more fluid state of Aquarius, because Aquarius is about like plasma, right? It's about this like liquid, this is the water bearer, right? The water bearer, really what is doing is kind of like pouring a more viscous kind of malleable spirit quantum fluid into place, right? That's the way that we're going to look at it. And so if you tap into this bliss, which is electrical, right? Now we're getting back into this electrical magnetic kind of ferrofluid and spark and sound and things like that, right? You can also look at finding your bliss, like tuning into your song, right? We're talking about frequencies and things like that earlier, right? But it's about really getting into this flow and this dance with life, okay? Or going more in this way of like, what do I, what I think I should do and just kind of following orders and program and things like that, right? And that's like a lot of what we see happening right now, right? Like, if you look at like everybody sitting in their homes, right? Like half the time or whatever, you know, the different levels of quarantine and things like that. What is that doing? Well, for a lot of people, for certain people, it's forcing them in a way to sit and go, wait, what if I can never go back to the job that I have before? What if society changes completely? Or, you know, all these things, all these things come up, like people hanging out with their kids and they're like, whoa, I actually really like hanging out with my kids more and my kids not in school. So many different things come up, right? Because they've been forced into receptivity because of these shifts that are going on. That's very everybody's interesting. That different. Everybody's taking that different, right? Yeah. This is, this is a great, uh, I think, point because if we're talking about that receptivity coming with the age of Aquarius and we like, accept that reality is like mystical through and through and that there, whatever happens is not like just an accident, then in some way, like, you know, this sort of like uh, pandemic, uh, you know, irrespective of the fact that obviously, you know, it caused suffering and pain, it also caused a lot of people to stay inside into receptivity to in some way potentially prepare them for the age in which that will be a key way of like not being in the world. Uh, so it, it's a very interesting like way uh, of looking at what's happening that kind of like adds a silver lining, uh, you know, on top of, you know, some things that were clearly like very painful for some people, you know, losing your loved ones and so forth. Um, yeah, and I'm not, very, I'm not at all like, I'm not at all like, ne you know, neglecting or denying any pain in the process or suffering or anything like that. And at the same time, we also know that there's birthing pains, you know, that's a real thing. And in this wider sense, right, it's like 
imagine, imagine for a moment that part of the process of evolution that we are going through is transcending death. Okay. And I mean that in the respect of what if, let's say through this cognitive solar plexus processing, right, that we become more psychic, okay? We become more empathic, boundaries start to dissolve a little bit more. We start to see through multiple timelines, time changes, right? Because actually in the human design system, the solar plexus governs how we experience time. And so let's just say that- Somebody, start- somebody did ask like, what is your definition of a timeline earlier in the chat? Maybe given that you're talking about it, you might expand a bit on that. So as to answer that question from the chat. Uh, he my did, my he definition did, of a timeline? Yeah, so Lumi basically actually asked to say, hey, can you define a timeline, Thomas? Uh, so uh, given that you brought it up, I might as well go back to that question. You, you might expand a bit on that uh, before you continue on that, uh, on that like, line of reasoning. Ooh. So a timeline is actually a lot of things, and I may have a hard time giving a more logical linear answer uh, funny enough to this, but like basically a timeline is a set of certain potentials and possibilities um, that uh, that we can interact with and ha- either can interact with or have interacted with or will interact with, right? And so it's very also in, in my understanding, in my experience, it's very also much so related to uh, the amount of energy that's available within a system uh, also directly impacts uh, the way that time works, okay? And a timeline, yeah, a timeline is essentially uh, a way of experiencing a certain localized set of potentials and possibilities. I guess that's, that's the best way that I could define it. Okay, so then uh, you were talking about like you no know, uh, certain timelines, uh, and then I interrupted you to give the definition. So I was wondering whether you can like pick up the thread and continue. Yeah, totally. So what if uh, what if part of this evolutionary process uh, with these new availabilities within our cognition system is because perceptions expanding our awareness of time changes, right? And our uh, awareness of uh, locality changes, right? And so if boundaries are dissolving, right? And I'm interacting with, uh, you know, you, quote unquote, on multiple different timelines in in different spaces, uh, which could manifest as an experience as a spirit, you know, or myself, right? Like if there's actually the ability to tune into myself on different, in different lifetimes that are, that, that I'm living simultaneously to this one. Okay. And so now we're opening up what life and experience and interaction and all these things are progressively more and more. 
yeah. I, I want to uh, uh, say something with respect to like the sort of many worlds sort of theory. I was having a conversation with a friend, a friend of mine, like a physicist, uh, and he basically said that like uh, uh, with respect to like a certain view of the multiverse, uh, there's this problem that he called the basis problem. Uh, and I'm gonna put the paper right there in the chat. Uh, that was by um, essentially like Henry Stapp. Uh, and, and it has to do with uh, a sort of like one of the main sort of counter arguments, at least in you know, the point of view of physics uh, with respect to why there can't be like multiple like, you know, worlds in a way. Now, the reason why this to me is always interesting is because uh, there is like what may, what may be called like traditional sort of science and like you know, quantum mechanics and what they're talking about. Uh, and there's also like the experiences of actual people like us who sometimes have had experiences that go against what you know we're supposed to be having <laughs> you know so uh but i do want to honor right i do want to honor like both sort of like uh worlds so whenever we come into sort of junctures when we kind of like assume that something is the case because of our own personal experiences i like to like throw in like you know kind of like the counter arguments in the chat so that people who are of the physics world can kind of say oh yeah that's interesting maybe like i can check that out but um, yeah. I, I, I do want to like uh, I, I just want I want to just like throw that in there for people who may be physicists who may have objections with respect to like the multiverse or um, and, and might be interested in like uh, sort of following those objections. Uh, but at the same time, I do want to like honor uh, like even my own experiences with respect to like you know multiple like timelines uh, and and kind of like what you were like, talking about. Uh, so uh, please continue. Yeah. No. For sure. And. I mean, I guess the beauty about the way that I look at things is actually it can be both. Um, but, you know, the person, the, maybe somebody on the other side of the theory that you're talking about probably wouldn't agree with that. But, um, you know, I do personally feel like uh, it's not mutually exclusive. It can be both and it could be neither. Um, and so, yeah, so what I was getting into is just that um, essentially now if we're if we're talking about uh, you know our bodies as kind of being cells for a larger or multiple larger developing consciousnesses that are going on, right? And thus uh, a larger consciousness that's inhabiting multiple bodies and multiple uh times simultaneously right so what and let's say there's a progressiveness of this let's say there's a slightly larger consciousness let's say like the heart right so let's say there's an overarching intelligence that governs the heart right and thus like all of the heart cells okay so that one consciousness is having multiple beings experiences at once, right? Because there's actually just one intelligence governing the heart, beating the little, uh, you know, heart cells, right? But each of the heart cells is having a different experience, right? And then we can go over, and then there's also the, the experience that's going on in the liver. Right. And those are two different consciousnesses, almost like programs in a sense governing those functions. 
and then there's a more master system that's like the whole human being that's kind of uh, doing those things. And then it keeps just chunking up and chunking up. So imagine potentially that what we are waking up to in this evolutionary process is maybe one or two steps up, right? Like imagine where uh, all of a sudden, you know, I'm starting to experience all sense my higher self, let's say, or a more expanded self, let's say is uh, the heart just in this uh, manner of speaking, okay? And let's say you and 20,000 or 5 million other people are the, you know, the lungs, okay? And all of a sudden we start having these interesting interactions, right, where death becomes much different, right? Like if we have a, um, the actual cognitive processing to be able to handle the bandwidth of having simultaneous experiences at the same time, right? And then when we leave one cell, which is this body, there's still processing going on in the other cells that haven't left the body, right? It's kind of like, it's kind of like I imagine what you're saying is that like you know, right now we're talking and as we're talking, there are cells in our body that are dying, but yeah. our uh, experience of consciousness re like remains like uniform. Uh, so maybe what you're saying is that if uh, we as humans were to imagine ourselves to be like these cells uh, that maybe in the liver or in the heart, and they have an awakening and they start actually realizing, oh, I'm part of a larger system oh, it's not actually, it's not just like the heart and the lungs. It's like this whole other thing. And, and suddenly like they get into this awakening where they end up being like us in a way, right? Like a, a human yeah. being with like full like sort of awareness uh, of the different organs of itself, but at the higher level of the fractal so that as each individual incarnation dies off, like that higher sort of level of awareness remains uniform just at the higher level. So maybe that's what you may be pointing to as transcending death, you know? Totally, totally. And um, yeah, that, the, and, and what, I'm, what I'm talking about is, you know, these types of personal experiences and realizations that I've had as my cognitive processes have started to open up and my nervous system has started to experience more mm -hmm. things this has also been involved, uh, this partly been connected to, uh, sometimes it's been experiences with entheogens, um, but these days it's experiences that are completely sober, you know, every day, like unless you wanna look at your own body's neurotransmitters and chemicals as not being sober, you know, which we, you know, that's another whole thing that, that we can well, get some people want to Some people want to say that when you're in love, you're drunk, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Even though the very chemicals are creating sort of like that state is, is they're yours, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it, it's a sort of slippery slope, but uh, I, I think that I know what you're saying. Uh, somebody posted like this thing about the soul view of Gaia. And I was just thinking that maybe sometimes in some of those like experiences that we have, uh, we may tap into that larger sort of like organism, which could be the planet, right? Maybe yeah. the planet looks at us as little cells, like within its own sort of like biosphere. Uh, and um, it, it's an interesting idea, uh, especially like, you know, once you start like uh, feeling uh, as much as 
some of us are feeling uh, either regularly or throughout the states. But I don't want to interrupt you. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're great. I love. I love. I mean, it's kind of we can go back to like 20 minutes ago, right? In this like, you know, reception and uh, interchange that's going on right now. You know, this isn't just about what I have to say. You know, this is just as much about what you have to say in the kind of conversation that's evolving here. Um, and that's why, you know, I, you know, I talked to you about coming back on is because I particularly love the, the mutual flow and interchange. And um, I personally am also uh, experiencing uh, the multiple lines of energy that are going out right now that it's not just us having the conversation. There's actually conversation on multiple levels with the people that are watching that will watch uh, in, in all these different sort of things. Um, one thing I want to preface really quick is um, the how we're doing on the time. And I only ask because I noticed my phone just said 15% battery left. And I it's going to be interesting to try and navigate plugging it in right now because I have it on a tripod and stuff. So I think we're uh, so one of the things that I want to say is that like yeah uh, so we're right now on Pacific time we're at three right uh, and um, I know that uh, at four uh, is this like uh, massive like synchronized meditation uh, oh, cool. that I, I wanted yeah, us. Yeah. To- we're gonna like mention in this uh, like recording, and it's not recording; it's live. Which uh, they aim, they aiming it to be potentially the largest synchronized meditation in the history of the world. They're they're, they're shooting for one billion, and I know that Lumi is watching, and uh, you know he should be should be really excited. I am gonna post this just so that the people who are listening uh, could potentially participate, uh, because I do think uh, that these kinds of experiments uh research has shown that uh, have very interesting results uh, and uh, you know there, there's been like uh, studies that show that crime goes down uh, all sorts of other like effects happen when people meditate with one loving intention mm-hmm. so you have like a billion people like you no know, meditating and they manage to pull that off they have a lot of partners um especially during these times where there's a lot of division uh, I'm really like looking forward to participating uh, in that meditation so we can shift sort of like the global consciousness towards justice, love, uh, and all the positive things that we want for this world. So yeah. that's happening in about like an hour from now. Um, you have 15% in your phone. So I would say like give it um, a few more, like five, 10 minutes, depending on how much your phone goes down. And then we can like you know, wrap it up and prepare for the meditation that's going to happen in about an hour. What do you, what do you say? Cool. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that sounds great. Um, let's see. Um, we're, because I, you know, I feel like we were at a pretty good spot uh, to a certain respect uh, with, with what we were chatting about in that very moment. Like, what do you, what do you kind of feel like a, maybe as a point you want to dive further into or, or something to that well i mean that. we have an interesting question here uh i don't know if you're seeing the chat uh i can't because i don't um i don't uh, have my computer okay, okay so well you know um Vanessa here says according to indigenous elders uh, in a Kabbalah, it's better not to meditate or manifest during eclipses thoughts on that 
indigenous elders in Latin America specifically. Now, uh, if you actually go to, to the site that I posted, uh, you actually do see indigenous uh, leaders being part of it. Uh, and that actually also happened with a, another um, group meditation that happened yesterday uh, where uh, you also had a number of indigenous elders uh, like participating in it. So uh, I think that um, maybe uh, uh, the times are such that uh, this uh, is to, I mean, I heard that in two different Zoom sessions, I've heard from uh, indigenous basically elders from both the Native American tradition and like the Maori tradition that uh, these are very special times and there's a number of prophecies that are starting to actually uh, kind of like materialize during these times. So maybe it is a good, it's a good segue. <laughs> That's a good segue. All right, uh, but I just want to answer Vanessa because like my- Hello? Uh, uh, can you hear me? You froze. But I can hear you perfectly and see you perfectly. Uh, but uh, I don't know what was happening. But uh, uh, Vanessa, in case you're still, uh, uh, you're, you're back. But Vanessa, in, in, in case you're listening, that would be my response according to who is participating in those meditations. Uh, maybe they are related to the fact that prophecies are actually starting to materialize. But I want to pass that segue to Thomas, uh, given that he said it was a good segue. Yeah, that brings up a couple great points. Uh, you know, one, one is just the simple, we can look at, there's a lot of different indigenous practices that have evolved. You know what I'm saying? I actually had a conversation with this somebody yesterday about how the, the Kogis, the, the Mamus in the Sierra Nevada, okay? So for the longest time, uh, it, it was thus that uh, men could only work with certain, certain plant medicines and the women could only work with certain plant medicines. You know, in particular, uh, the interchange of coca and tobacco, okay? Because one has a masculine component, the other has a feminine component. So they didn't, uh, you know, they, the, to keep the sexes and the energies flowing and balanced, they, they had those sort of rules in place, you know? And within the past few years, now it's evolved where both sides can use both plants and other things too. This isn't a localized item, right? There's many different things. And yes, definitely also connected to the fact that we're in a womb, mutations go on, evolution happens, things change. If things don't change, then, you know, well, I mean, nature doesn't work like that. And the foundation of almost all indigenous practices I know is being integrated with nature. You know what I'm saying? In, at, a, at a core principle, right? It's about the fact that there's no difference between us and nature actually. And that that being a conception is basically like just kind of a weird mental idea that we're separate from nature. So that being said, this Aquarian cosmology that I'm talking about, right? That the whole show has been about, is exactly what we're talking about in the prophecies, multiple prophecies coming together, right? The, the idea of like the return of uh, Quetzalcoatl, the idea of the return of the rainbow race, you know, the entrance into the sixth sun, you know, like all these different, the, the eagle and condor prophecy, 
They're yeah, all. Yeah, I was gonna mention that. Yeah. Yeah, they're all. They're all in in certain respects. They're all different cultural lineage interpretations of the same type of thing, right? And really, what this has to do with at the core is the way that the evolution of the nervous system in the DNA especially happens, right? The rainbow serpent in Quetzalcoatl has to do with the DNA, okay? This is really what we're talking about here. And this is, you know, speaking, perfect, perfectly speaking of uh, eclipses, okay? This eclipse that's happened this weekend is right next to it, just passed over the North Node, okay? And the North Node is known as the head of the dragon. The South Node is known as the tail of the dragon. Astrology, right? What is the true meaning of the head and the tail of the dragon? Well, at the top of the human body's electromagnetic system, right? It's a torus field. We have a torus field that is electromagnetic is around our body, okay? And there's actually, you know, we look at the, the polarity of electromagnetics. There's the red field and the blue field, the positive field, the negative field. The right and the left, red versus blue, Republicans versus Democrats, good versus evil. It's, you know, it's all these things, all these things stem from these two things interacting with one another. This is, I recently made a post about this being the root of all these different, like, ah, look at the picture behind you. It's a beautiful example of that amazing artwork by Android. Uh, love his work. And so that's the root of all of these interactions, okay? And so the head of the dragon is the top of this, this spiral system, right? The head so is this window, right? This hole in the torus field where it's spiraling through. The tail of the dragon is the bottom pole of the system, right? So all this energy is just flowing through. And this is why that the, the, the nodes uh, correspond to kind of the movement and trajectory of energy within humanity. That's why they're called, that's why they're interpreted that way in astrology, okay? And so what is this really? Is the spiral movement of the DNA, right? Because again, that's the red and blue, the polarity of these two serpents intertwining with another serpents, AKA DNA spirals, okay? And then we have the return of the rainbow serpent, okay? The rainbow race, Quetzalcoatl, the feathered serpent, okay? All of these different things, right? And the eagle versus, and the eagle meets a condor, the eagle, right? And the condor, okay? The, the these two different wings, right? And the, also in the, in the brain, the eagle and condor, right? We have these wings of consciousness, right? And there are many, many esoteric things that you can get into to see how these things correspond to the human body, right? Okay. There's even in the center of the brain, there's this gap, right? That has to do with this Phoenix consciousness, which is this psychic consciousness. Okay. And yes, as these things transpire and evolve in, 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 in change, then consciousness in the cells in their practices, which are just mental systems. That's the thing, is things like 
these all these different systems, Kabbalah, astrology, uh, you know, even traditional indigenous practices, all these things are mental systems, right? They're like ways that people have set and said, this is the rule, okay? But if we're moving from the mind down into the solar plexus, or if we're evolving to have a third strand of DNA or 12 strands of DNA becoming rainbow and consciousness is uh, changing, then the rules are gonna have to change. The systems are gonna have to change. And we see that happening in the world. The governments are breaking down and shifting and changing. Society's shifting and breaking down and changing, right? So why wouldn't the systems change too? The, the like psycho-spiritual religious systems? Because if you don't think that those systems can break down too, then you're negating them in general because astrology, which is the basis of Kabbalah, right? Where is saying that the systems are breaking down right now, right? It's like Pluto, Saturn, uh, you know, Saturn's moving from Aquarius back into Capricorn, Pluto, and Saturn just conjuncted in January in Capricorn, Capricorn rules systems, Saturn rules structures and systems, Pluto's the one who breaks things down. It's like, you know, if I'm going to negate that, then I got to negate Kabbalah. So it's like, you know, <laughs> it's almost as if like, you know, uh, astrology in, in some sense is kind of like negated, negating itself by saying, look, you know, we are, we, we are changing ourselves, like everything is changing. And that's what we're trying to tell you. Uh, so don't kind of like, hold on to like the past, but try to see what you receive from the actual sort of nature reality rather than through the concepts, right, that were created in the past, which I think goes all the way back to the theme that you talked about, that transition, where there's one thing like receiving reality as it is uh, uh, to the best of your like perception. And there's another thing basically relying on these filters that were given to you so you can see it, but, uh, you know, once reality changes, then you have to adjust those filters as well, or like throw them away in a way, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, so um, I think that uh, that is a, a good a place to kind of like wrap it up, unless you want to add something. Uh, I want to like take a little break before the big meditation, but uh, if you want to add something, uh, I'd love to hear it. Um, I mean, I, I feel like I feel like we did did a we got pretty deep today i mean i just want to add of course as usual i'm just so deeply grateful for anybody and everybody that's tuned in uh that may like share this on social media that that may like be in this conversation evolving uh becoming a member of senius already a member of senius anybody who wants to directly reach out with me and interact with my my one-on-one -on -one work or any of the work that i'm doing I'm just like grateful to be here and grateful to be in this process and flow and for those out there that that wanted to tune in and to share in this moment because this is such a, like a you know a, a beautiful like holy moment in in respect so anybody who is choosing to be here with me and you in this process i'm just like honored honored to 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 co-create in that way well, thank you so much for uh, making that uh, statement. Uh, I feel it was uh, like apt and like really beautiful. I want to thank uh, as well, like all our uh, viewers and commenters 
And um, I suggest again, like, you know, if you're uh, uh, into uh, like synchronized meditation, there's one that's taking place at uh, 4 p.m. Pacific time. It might be the largest that has ever taken place in the history of the world. So if you want to help shift the global consciousness towards uh, justice and love, uh, please uh, like visit um, that URL that I sent, uh, which was sionearth.com. Uh, uh, you can find it in the comments. And I want to thank uh, Thomas once again. Uh, just want to say that um, you know I really enjoy this as well, and uh, I look forward to also going through that list of those topics that you have yeah. sent me and kind of like going deep in each of them. Uh, so next time we'll just choose one of those topics that you have sent me uh, and, uh, and see how, how deep we can go. So thank you once again, my friend, uh, for, uh, for making it happen. Have a beautiful weekend in meditation and everyone out there, uh, you know, have a beautiful weekend and hopefully meditation too. And, and I will speak to y'all on the other side. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Uh, love you all. <laughs> Bye. Bye.